Hello and welcome to Safer Journeys, a podcast dedicated to raising children, ending violence, and ending oppression. I am one of your hosts. I am Heather. I am here with Melissa and we are at Safe Journeys in North Central Illinois. And Heather is our community engagement specialist here, and we are a domestic and sexual violence agency that seeks to empower survivors. We are on the prevention side of things where we are really seeking and putting into place strategies to end domestic and sexual violence in our communities. And there are a variety of ways we do that. And this is one of them, actually, yep. our podcast. Um, so yeah, I'm Melissa, and I'm the community engagement director here. And um, as always, we like to start with our trigger warning just to let you know that uh, we will be talking about um, discussing content that has domestic and sexual violence in it. Um, and today, our topic is the prevention of abuse in young people um, and old with disabilities. And so part of that trigger warning is also that we are talking about abuse in a particular marginalized population, um, people with disabilities. Yep. Like Melissa said, we're going to continue that disability. This is disability part two. I almost said part do, but I was like, <laughs> people are going to be like, okay, weirdo. Um <laughs> But part two, um, truly this could have been an entire season, um, but we are limited in time. So we're making this two episodes. So let's recap quickly from episode seven, some things that we learned. We learned that people with disabilities are at higher risk of experiencing abuse. We know that kids with disabilities are three times more likely to experience abuse if we're comparing them to their peers that are not disabled. We see some of the highest rates of abuse in people with hearing disabilities and those that are nonverbal as a result of reporting them not reporting as well, not being able to consent as easily, that sort of thing. And then we also know that people who live in care homes are going to experience even higher rates um, than their disabled peers that are not living in a care home. And that is four times as likely um, to experience abuse if you're living in a care home with a disability. And just to continue on these um, <clears throat> very uh, upsetting high stats mm, here, yeah. between 40 to 70% of girls with disabilities will experience sexual abuse before they turn 18. Mm -hmm. And for boys, that's up to 30% of them before the age of 18. And the most common form of sexual abuse in kids with disabilities is coerced or forced sex. I I don't I actually don't know what the what it would be for young people without disabilities. Like I don't have that right. off the top of my head, but I suspect it's similar. Right. I think that's probably a common theme amongst young people who are experiencing abuse is like force and coercion. Yeah. Because they're just not very good at asking and telling people what they need yet. Yeah. I mean, those assertiveness skills. Yeah. If they're not taught, you know, they won't have them yet. No, totally. We also want to. Um, remind everyone especially since we're recording this during human trafficking awareness month i it will not be published during that month but it's being recorded <laughs> during human trafficking awareness um these folks are going to be at higher risk for becoming victims of human trafficking sexual exploitation and sexual harassment and i didn't talk that much about sexual harassment in part one but I wanted to mention that online harassment is particularly troublesome and problematic in women and girls with disabilities. 
I've been doing a lot of listening to lived experiences through podcasts um, on adults who have disabilities. And this is one of the themes that I've heard over and over again. Um, And the women who have disabilities are like the content, the kinds of things people say to them online is like way more outrageous than we would see for someone who's not disabled. Um, One of the podcasts I really like, by the way, is proud and disabled and Mm. if you like british accents they are all british so like you also just like have a fun little british accent to listen to love that i really really like um the host and her guests so she mentioned this she also um mentioned that kids with disabilities participate more online in sexual behaviors and are solicited more often online with sexualized content than non-disabled peers Mm. yeah um, and part of that is in, is sort of because of the, there's sometimes this fetishization, which is I, getting that word out is very difficult for me. Like my mouth doesn't make it, but fetishization um, of relationships and with people with disabilities. So in a couple of these podcasts, the conclusion was if you're attracted to someone because of their disability, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you have to be upfront about it with them and be like, truly the reason that I was first interested in you is because this disability. Now, there is a group of people who um, are referred to as devotees. This is really disturbing. Um, who prefer having sexual relationships with disabled people, not because they find something enjoyable or lovely about the disability, but because they like having the power and control Mm. over someone with a disability. So you can see where the difference is, right? And there's the problem. Yeah. So that's the problem with the devotees. It's abuse. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Um, So I just wanted to mention that um, because we may need to be a little extra careful with our young people online who have disabilities, especially if they're like using social media and it's very obvious that, you know, they talk about their disability online, which they should absolutely be able to. Yeah. We just have to make sure that they're protected. So what's up, Melissa? Why are they at such high risk? Um, So they are at higher risk because their vulnerabilities make them targets, uh, which is actually... What I was thinking when you were Mm. speaking just now, yeah, Um, because not only do they have that piece about um, having a disability, which makes them easier to exploit, but also they're a young person, yep, which Which makes makes them them easier (laughs) to exploit. (laughs) You know, so it's just like it's that uh, intersectionality of like the identity upon identity upon identity, like these intersections are making them even more um, of a target. Mm So uh, and then and then another reason is because there's a discrimination and stigma of people with disabilities. So this, too, increases the risk of abuse and it creates barriers to seeking support, because when when it comes to um, any marginalization, there's going to be barriers to accessing services or support that they need, uh, which is something that we constantly have to think about um, in our service. Yeah. And Uh, it's hard, especially if you are not a member of that group. Right. That's why we. Listen. Listen. Yep. That's why Melissa and I do so much with listening sessions, with um, consuming content on, you know, podcasts, social media from people with different life experiences than us. Right. Because otherwise we won't be able to get around. Like if we don't know the barrier, we can't get around it. And like we're still not doing the best job. No. We're doing what, what we can at the moment. Right. Yeah. Right. 
And then um, another reason uh, they are at such high risk is because they're not receiving the prevention education in school like their peers, um, the young people with disabilities. Um, And this is due to a few things uh, due to inaccurate beliefs that people with disabilities don't date or have sex. Like they're just desexualized in a way, which is interesting because you just said that there's a fetishization um, and it's like over-sexualized comments. However, they're looked at often as not really having a sexual life or sexuality. And I think that perspective is from their caregivers, right? Okay. And my, that's my thought process because yeah, yeah. that's like the people who dis, who are making decisions on whether or not they are going to a- have access have, to this, right? Yes. So it's going to be like their teachers. It's going to be their therapists. It's going to be their parents, that kind of thing. So it's the randos on the internet are sexualizing them, but then the people closest to them are desexualizing them. Yeah. That puts them in a weird spot. It really does. And they just don't have the information they need to navigate that spot. No. 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 And then you have this myth going on that they don't have the desire or won't attract partners, right? So that's that desexualizing. So youth with disabilities are having their first romantic and sexual experiences in adolescence and young adulthood, just like their non-disabled peers. Like, that's the reality of yeah, it. Yep. And, but again, like we said, they don't have the tools to navigate it. No, and they're, they're being hypersexualized in one realm right. and undersexualized in another. Like, yeah. of course, they don't have the tools and right. are probably pretty confused about it all. Yes. At least I, I would be yeah. in such a situation. And because they're a, a higher risk, because, you know, they're more vulnerable, we, we know that preventing abuse is even more important to this group of individuals. We know healthy relationship education and prevention of abuse is going to reduce the risk for any young person from being abused. Um, And we also provide them with information on what happens if you're abused. What do you do? How do you respond to that if someone else is experiencing abuse? Yes. And all of these topics are wrapped up in comprehensive sex ed as well, which, you know, not everywhere is providing comprehensive sex ed, but comprehensive sex ed includes abuse prevention education for students. So if we're deciding who receives prevention education of like abuse prevention education based on like risk, really we should be prioritizing the kids that have disabilities. Yeah. So, and we're doing the opposite. We're just not giving them that information or it's a little bit or it's half-hearted, that sort of thing. And Melissa, I want to talk a little bit or I want you to talk because this is your jam. (laughs) This is like her bread and butter um, about comprehensive sex ed. Yes. So as Heather said, it is abuse prevention, like comprehensive sex ed. And um, and so it includes things like consent, puberty, gender identity, sexual orientation, healthy relationships, um, information about the reproductive system in your body. Right. And even like the act of reproduction, how to do that safely. Right. Uh, Sexually transmitted infections, anatomy and hygiene education and it is developmentally appropriate. That's how it's delivered. And even if you were an adult with a disability, 
the person teaching you would meet you where you are. And you might have to start at lesson one where like maybe that's something a fourth grader is learning. But guess what? Like you got to start somewhere and being trauma informed, you got to meet them where you are, where they are. So um, that is just so important. Now, comprehensive sex ed, like this kind of education is generally provided in school, um, often in gym or health classes is where you'll find this. Um, and some um, teachers within the school system will deliver it, or maybe they'll have somebody from outside of the school system come in and do that. And comprehensive sex ed class, this is one of the only places that young people receive unbiased, reliable sex education. And it's when comprehensive, medically accurate, science-based, you know, like sex ed is being delivered, not just, uh, you know, like one side being like sex is bad, abstinence is the only way, which like abstinence is a choice. Mm-hmm. And, it is and a, it's one of the options, yes, right? Exactly. But it's not the only thing. And it's definitely, if you only talk about that, we're not going to have a a healthy and safe environment. No, you're not getting the information that you need. Right. And the key here is we need to put tools in the hands of young people so that they can actually make informed, good, healthy decisions with their bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I would, I mean, I wish I had all the information so I could have done that, you know, because I really wanted, I wanted to be abstinent completely. Mm -hmm. And I just wasn't because I didn't have good information. And I'm like, well, that kind of stinks, but oh, well, that's interesting. You wanted to be abstinent and the education you received was so poor on sex and sex ed. Yeah. It was abstinence based that even they didn't even accomplish their goal of providing you who is like all about abstinence with the tools you needed to be abstinent. Like they yeah. didn't even they didn't tell me the how to goal do it. that they were trying to achieve. Yeah. And yeah. people use so many different terms for different acts sure. that you wouldn't I didn't, I should say. Yeah. I didn't equate one thing with another. And I'm like, oh no, I'm fine. <laughs> well truly, I mean there's a bunch of terms like I pretended that I even knew what they meant when I was in high school. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I know what that means. I had no idea. Well I was asking my friends. I was too afraid. I just <laughs> pretended I knew I just like was vague about it. So and then eventually right. thankfully the internet popped up in my life around that time where I could be like, what does this mean? Oh phew, now I don't look like a dummy in front of my friends. <laughs> But that would have been, I did not receive some of those terms. The terminology, honestly, would probably be very helpful for folks in sex ed. Because then, like, if someone's like, hey, let's do X, Y, Z. And you're like, well, I don't know what that is that I can't say yes or no to. Right. So we do this exercise in class with young people. And this is more about, like, how we want to be treated in a relationship. But it's, like, our non-negotiables and, like, what we want. And you cannot make that list if you do not have the information you need. Yeah, fair. That is not fair. Period. That's not fair. It's not right. So, I mean, I'm getting on a soapbox. No, it's okay. I want to get back to, like, why comprehensive sex ed is so vital, um, especially for kids with disabilities, um, because they're usually not receiving this even when their peers are. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times... Um, young people with disabilities aren't in the same classroom as their peers who don't have disabilities that are keeping them from Mm -hmm. that classroom. And so, um, and like, why? Why aren't they getting this vital information? And the first reason is because of the 
misconceptions, the discrimination and the stigma. Um, this, <laughs> so basically, oppression mm-hmm. is yep. the reason uh-huh. why they're not getting the information they need, um, which is a crime because of what we've already talked about in part one and now part two. Mm-hmm. They are the most vulnerable in society. Yeah, if Please we uh, get them comprehensive sex ed, we're begging you. <laughs> I okay, and then another reason they aren't getting it is because sex ed curricula are designed for young people with disabilities. Like, there's not enough stuff out there for this particular population with like adaptations and different modalities to get them the information and, um, or or like the training for. Mm educators Mm -hmm. to be able to get this so um they are just like and we talked about this in part one how special education teachers and just like that environment in general are under-resourced and not they they don't have the stuff they need to be able to provide what the young people with disabilities need and so like that is that is tough and and to adapt a sex curriculum sex ed curriculum um yourself like that's just really challenging and I know like in this region we are trying to bring some people together to like really think even how do we adapt like Like where do we start body safety Mm -hmm. lessons so that we can meet these kids where they are and they need to get this vital information like what tools can we get them into Mm -hmm. their hands or their caregivers hands just the information even if it's not a tool just be like this is the thing (laughs) yes Yes. you should be aware what's the best way to tell them yeah uh, you know and so I, I can I can see why it's difficult to get them this information, mm-hmm. but it's still a crime. <laughs> like we are just, we are under-resourcing the most, the population that has the highest support needs. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've done a little bit of adapting of curriculums, like minimally. It takes so much time. It does. And if you're trying to adapt a curriculum to say, a classroom of 15 students with 15 different disabilities, each of those may need a separate adaptation. Right. Like I'm thinking about talking about like periods and hygiene products and individuals who are wheelchair users. Um, one of those podcasts I listened to, the the woman had talked about when she first had gotten her period, how it was, you know, she couldn't use a tampon because she couldn't physically manipulate well with mm. her hands. And then she, using a pad, it would slide around and, you know, and it's just like, so that there just wasn't even a, pro- like those kinds of things would be beneficial for young people, just that, that strictly period hygiene stuff, even yeah. if we weren't to, but it's going to be different, right? For every single person with a different disability. Absolutely. And then, and then there's like this desire in me, I really want to be partnering with the other people in the room mm-hmm. because if they if they have high support needs, uh, the young people do, then they're going to be having adults there in the room with them, mm-hmm. supporting them. Yep. I would love to see those adults yeah. being able to partner with the sex educator and be able to help deliver that information. But then you, you need the time to, yeah. to, at least educate them on yeah. what what you're going to be or even talking about that day. Be curious about like what kind of adaptations in the curriculum you're going to make. Right. So you would talk to their support person and their support person might say, oh, they need this or they tend to struggle with this or yeah. I know that this is very beneficial in helping them receive information. Like again, right. 
a lot of time in that adaptation. And Melissa and I think it's worth it. Like, I don't want you to get an idea that we don't think it's worth it. We think it's worth it. We just know that it takes time and energy. We don't have, they don't have that time. They're not given that time. Yeah. And if they're doing, if they do it, it's going to be on paid time. They're making additional time. Yeah. They're volunteering on top of all the other time that they've put into it already. But then they see it that it's worth it. I hope so. To get those students this information. Totally. I just, I never want to see overworked, under-resourced folks then having to donate their time on top of already being treated. Totally. No, I know. And and we know so many educators who Who do this already. Yeah. 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 They're putting in so much time and that they won't be compensated for. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, so when we talk about a curriculum, there is one curriculum that we're really big fans of. However, it is designed for adults and it is designed for adults specifically with intellectual and uh, developmental disabilities. Uh, it's called Elevatus. And again, it's for adults. So it's not necessarily appropriate for like a third grader. Um, and it doesn't address the needs uh, of all folks. So it's just people with like mild to moderate um, intellectual or development dis- developmental disabilities. If they have really severe intellectual or developmental disabilities, there's currently not a curriculum for them. I know the folks who did Elevate Us are working on one, but it's not they out. Ha- well, they have like a new adapted oh, okay, cool. version out and they're starting to provide training on it. Okay, But yeah, I mean, until this point, you know, we had to give up teaching a particular a particular class because we didn't have the tools yeah, to be able to remember. do what we needed to do and and get them the information in an effective mm-hmm. way and and we we were just like we need more training yeah. otherwise I don't want to do more harm than good here like, right no I get it I I was in one of those initial classrooms and yeah. I truly was just like I don't know what to do yeah they're definitely not absorbing or even paying attention to me honestly because I wasn't interacting with them in a way that worked for them I was interacting with them in a way that worked for a different group of people exactly and like so we we learned pretty quickly that we needed to pause that group until we had better tools to to engage with them and get them the information they needed Mm -hmm. um so we'll talk a little bit more about Elevatus and we really do like the curriculum a lot um in a minute but so what happens when young people, whether or not they're disabled, um, don't get comprehensive sex ed that they need, they turn to the internet. And that's not all bad, but they're, it's not monitored, right? Like, you, there's nobody going, this is a developmentally appropriate website for you. <laughs> you know, it's like they're going to Google I don't know, sex, and you're going to get porn sites, you're going to get a Wikipedia. Like, there's just so many. And young people aren't great at vetting their resources. That's okay. They're still learning. That's what they're in school for. Um, But so they're turning to the internet, which is exceptionally concerning in individuals with disabilities because of that fetishization and harassment that I was talking about. Um, So young folks who, in particular with disabilities or identities that aren't, that are more marginalized, they'll turn to the internet because the resources available don't meet their needs. 
So they're like, well, how does a person in a wheelchair have sexual intercourse? Right. They're not talking about that in sex ed. So they're going to look for it and it's going to probably be porn and it's probably going to be abusive and there's going to be some power and control stuff that's not healthy. And if that's what they're seeing from the start, that's like implanted in their brain now. Your first experiences with stuff generally are like what you sort of revolve around or grow your thought process on for the future. So like now their first experience seeing sex is going to be an unhealthy and abusive one. So that's what they're going to expect. And they may perpetrate abuse. They may be complacent when abuse happens to them strictly because they think that's normal. And that's how it should be. And that's absolutely not the case. Um, so I, I guess I could go on with this. And, but again, it's a whole nother podcast. So yeah. what kinds of things do you think we would be included in comprehensive sex ed um, for young people that have disabilities? Like how would that look different? From, from, from like their non-disabled yeah. peers? Yeah. Um, so body safety or body auto autonomy is going to look a little different uh, because there's various support needs, right? Mm. Um, and so youth with disabilities may have difficulties communicating consent or lack of consent. They might find they may find need to find new ways of communicating that consent based on their communication methods. Um, so instruction on alternative means of conveying consent or not would be important. They may also be receiving care. That includes washing and toilet help or generally having their bodies touched by others more often because of their support needs. So these young people should be made aware that they still have the right to consent or not to consent um, to all things related to their bodies um, because they are still a person. They deserve the right to be able to say yes or no you can do this to my body. Yeah. Um, caregivers should also be instructed on obtaining consent and communicating what they are doing, narrating it out loud. Mm -hmm. And super side note, I saw, I had been watching some Instagram reels about hospice nurses and things like that. And they were like, they, even when folks are unconscious yes. or not communicative, they will still verbally go through what they're doing. They're like, okay, well, I'm hooking up your IV line now. We're going to give you that that Tylenol to help with the fever or whatever that, you know, the yes. case may be. And I was like, that is so trauma-informed. Yes. I don't know if they're even calling it trauma. I don't think they even realize what they're doing is trauma-informed. But that kind of thing would be very beneficial, particularly for people who are nonverbal, right? right? Um, so it just... I just saw how we could map that on. Totally. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's honoring the human dignity yes. of that person. Absolutely. And like, could you imagine having things done to your body? You're aware of it. You can't say anything or do anything about it. And other people are in complete control of your body. That sounds extremely stressful and upsetting to me. Yeah. And so like we, we have to be able to adapt these kinds of curriculums Absolutely. To serve our folks who have different needs, right? So the Elevatus curriculum could absolutely be adapted to a younger audience. I, it's not currently, but it, it for sure could be. Um, what we really like about it is that it was or it was created alongside individuals with um, intellectual disabilities. They call themselves self-advocates. Um, this was 
it's just the pro the whole program is pretty great melissa you work with it a lot more is there anything specific you would want to mention about elevatus you know i think when it comes to um especially with young people and adapting it to them, you can definitely use the outline of the table of contents because it really starts to go into, you know, like self-determination, like what we were just talking about, like it's your body, you get to decide what happens to it. And that education starts at a very, very, very young age, whether you have disabilities or not. Mm -hmm. And so that can definitely be taught self-advocacy, same thing, right? Um, Supported decision-making types of relationships going through like who well so you know what what does a friend look like for you what do you want in a friend what can a friend do with you Mm -hmm. how does you know how do you go from being a friend to a sweetheart you know we still have these conversations with young people it just might sound a little different right or it might sound similar depending on you know what the young people have been exposed Mm -hmm. to but um I think one of the most important conversations other than like about anatomy and all that kind of stuff and healthy relationships is what's okay and not okay in public versus private spaces and I think this conversation can be had no matter how old you are I I mean we have these conversations with our young people right like you know little kids love running around naked all the time right like they're like ah naked and it's like no when we go to the store we put clothes on it's Mm -hmm. not okay Mm -hmm. so like we have the same discussions that's right we just have to frame them a little differently and I, I think put more effort into it and initiate these conversations yeah um earlier and more often maybe and I can imagine like when we start to adapt these body safety lessons at some of our area schools I think one of the main things we should talk about is public versus private Mm -hmm. um so that and the finding a way to communicate yeah Yeah, like yes that's okay I like that or no you like do not touch me I or and find a way to tell an adult you know Mm -hmm. like those just basic things like the touching rule and it's never okay to keep secrets about an adult yeah. touching you or showing you, you know, pornography mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, so I, yeah, I just, I think there are so many ways we could adapt this. Um, but I especially just like looking at the table of contents because I'm like, no, that's oh, a great, I totally yeah. have a lesson for that. Like, No, that's a really, it's really been, because we've done so many different things, we have a little bit more to pull from, I That's think. That's true. So like when you see a table of contents and it's like body safety, you're like, I have 60 pieces yeah. of, you know, worksheets, resources, activities that I can use to sure. teach body safety. Yeah. What's going to work for this group? But folks who aren't doing this work, like say it's your gym teacher or your health teacher, yeah, like they don't have 60 different activities or handouts or worksheets or slides to share on body safety because that's not what they do all the time. Right, right. You know, one of the things I, I don't do it so much anymore. I started out teaching Elvetus and got, you know, distracted with other things. And Melissa's been doing a little bit more of it. Um, I really like that every lesson they close with reminding the the learners that it's their body and that they're in charge and they yes. get to make the decisions about it. So every single lesson closes with that reminder that you're in charge of your body yep. and you get to make the decisions. It's a powerful statement for them to be making about themselves mm-hmm. and just a reminder about it. Like. 
truly some of us, you know, we could, we all need the reminder sometimes, honestly, especially those of us who like, you know, let people push us around a little bit. Yeah. Um, But (laughs) we're not going to talk about Melissa and I being people pleasers sometimes. (laughs) It's true. Again another podcast right yeah yeah but we we are very lucky in illinois that we um we have this mandate Mm -hmm. that uh the comprehensive sex ed needs to be delivered at um these living and care facilities for uh, for adults with disabilities or anybody like attending day programs they're given the opportunity to receive comprehensive sex ed um you know many opt out (laughs) or maybe their caregivers have opted them out but at least it's there and they've been get like you're starting from the very beginning, giving them the choice yeah. and allowing them to make the decision. You yeah. get to opt out if this isn't what you want to do, which right. really starts the like, this is your body and yeah. you get to say what happens to it discussion. Yeah. Um, I will say the discussions are getting a little more um, sexy. I'm sure. <laughs> so I think more people are opting out. Got it. I, I <laughs> yeah, That makes place. sense. <laughs> That's fine, though. Like, if that's not your hey. comfort level, I support sure. you saying so. Sure, that is fine. You know what's exciting, too, though, is that I'm hearing more and more, like, possible self-advocates. Oh, that's great. In the room. Yeah, I love that. And they are fierce feminists. That's <laughs> amazing. Like, wow. <laughs> Knowing the group, that doesn't surprise me. I can think of a handful of individuals who, uh, who are would definitely be great self-advocates and yes I love when they like if they would raise their hand and I didn't like call on them immediately they were like um hello do you not see me like love that's advocate you're advocating for yourself exactly makes me happy and I just want to say too you know like when people desexualize or just even not think that people with disabilities that they don't have like the sexual desires or just like even relationships like we all do um like the list that was made in a recent class about going from friend to sweetheart. What mm-hmm. do you do with a friend? Sure. What do you do with a sweetheart? And that list looks very similar to any list mm-hmm. I would make with either young people mm-hmm. or with adults. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I love that. What you do with a sweetheart. It <laughs> is really funny it, cause, because it like they say... Like the the participants in the class are saying very similar things to any anybody receiving and, you know, this information. Trying yeah. not to use the word sex, it is oh, funny. Yeah. Whether that's like a, a movement <laughs> or or words, and I'm like, oh wait, so can you say it for me? Like, what is I that? See, yeah, can you be more specific? Okay. And then they're they like trying it. to avoid saying it as if it's like a naughty word I'm or like, something. You know, this is sex ed. <laughs> Let's all say the word together, you know? Yeah. Like, they're like, but we call comfortable. it, we call it safe journeys day. And we're like, oh, oh okay. Well, it is. Okay. Sure. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if that's how you get through. <laughs> it's fine. I know, um, Melissa, you had found a, an article from the Elevatus people, from the people who made this curriculum, mm-hmm. yes. particularly for supporting young people or children um, with intellectual or developmental disabilities. Could you talk a little bit about that? And then we'll make sure we post it in the show notes and put it on our uh, social media. For sure. I love this because it gives caregivers some concrete steps on how to support. Um, And so 
They elaborate on these three steps caregivers can take to do this, supporting children with intellectual and developmental disabilities to have healthy relationships. Number one, provide positive messages about relationships. Um, Whether that's the messaging that they're receiving from you that you're communicating and what you're modeling mm-hmm. f- around them. Make sure you're discussing relationships. This is number two. Discuss relationships and ask guiding questions. So make sure you're being pretty explicit about these different relationships, right? And like, like I you said, just mentioned, right? Yeah. yeah, like whether you're on a team, um, you're in class together, you know, are you in a family member? Are you a friend? Are you a sweetheart? Mm-hmm. You know, like what? What circle does that make you in? Like, mm-hmm. what access do they get to you? What information do you share with them? You know, do you do d- things differently with a sweetheart than a friend? Then what are those things? Like, yeah. be specific. Ask those guiding questions to help facilitate good conversation. And then number three, consider your own personal beliefs. So this is for the caregivers, right? Consider your own personal beliefs on how you want your child to treat others and how you want others to treat your child, because you're going to be conveying that through all of this messaging, whether that's the modeling or the explicit messaging. Um, So we also really love to hear about any resources anybody has on this topic or any topic relating to <laughs> what we do, these violence prevention. So if you have any resources you would like to share with us, please, please, please email us at saferjourneyspod at safejourneysillinois.org. You're welcome to email us anything if you have topic, oh, yeah. if you have feedback, good or bad, or topic suggestions, anything like that. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Um, we would love to just hear from you. Yeah, please. Really, truly. (laughs) There are going to be a boatload of resources in the show notes, so feel free to check those out. Um, There's some really good stuff in there. Yeah, I really, I got into looking at um, support services for people who are hard of hearing or deaf um, because my stepmom is hard of hearing. And so like I have this like extra um, connection, I suppose, with it. But um, there are, there's... um, a variety of places. There's some ASL videos about abuse and healthy relationships um, at the Deaf Hotline. Uh, that's the website. They, ADWAS is Abused Deaf Women Advocacy Services. They've got lots of great stuff. There's just a lot of opportunities if you do some digging online. Love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And thank you all for listening. Keep on listening if you need some support resources. And we look forward to talking to you soon. Bye look out for new podcasts every other Monday on anywhere that you can find your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Anchor FM, you name it. We're there. If you have any questions and we would love to hear from you, you can email us at saferjourneyspod at safejourneysillinois.org. You can also message us on social media. We have a Facebook and an Instagram that you can find us at. And let's talk about some resources for anyone who's experiencing abuse. If you happen to live in and around LaSalle or Livingston County in Illinois, please feel free to call Safe Journeys Support Line at 815-673-1555-247. Confidential services are free. If you don't happen to be in our, our area, there are two national hotlines that you can call for support. For sexual violence, you can call RAIN with two N's. That's the National Sexual Violence Hotline. 
Their phone number is 800-656-HOPE. They also have a live chat on their website if you're interested. And for domestic violence or intimate partner abuse, you can call the hotline, which is simply thehotline.org. And this is our national domestic violence hotline. And you can give them a call at 800-799-SAFE or chat live on the website. Thanks for listening.